Cade Mila Falta. Welcome to the Letter from Ireland show, where we travel in the footsteps of your Irish ancestors, visiting their homelands and telling their stories as they put down roots in so many places around the world. Hello everybody and you're very welcome to this episode of the Letter from Ireland podcast. I'm Mike Collins and over the next 40 minutes or so we have a very special show because we're going to be interviewing somebody who has the inside track on just what's happening at PRONI or the Public Records Office of Northern Ireland. So let me explain a little bit more. Um, our own Jane McGarvey, who seems to spend, I think, probably more of her time in the prony offices in Belfast than at home, um, hopefully now that the COVID has lifted especially. But anyway, she, she thankfully and uh, very graciously organised an interview with Janet Hancock, which we're going to talk to over the next 45 minutes or so. Now, Janet Hancock is the Deputy Head of Public Services at Prony, the Public uh, Records Office of Northern Ireland. And I think if you actually have ancestors who actually came, especially from the northern half of the island, and generally anywhere around the province of Ulster, you'll be particularly interested in this interview. Because the Public Records Office of Northern Ireland, not just about the six counties of Northern Ireland, but in general they cover an awful lot more than that, and we'll get into that in the interview. Now, just to say, as well as the interview with Janet over the next while, we've also prepared a quick win training that actually gives you an online walkthrough and talk through with Jay McGarvey around the Prony online. So there's actually more details on that if you want to go to our show notes. And that's a letter from Ireland.com forward slash 717. That's a letter from Ireland.com forward slash forward slash pardon me 717. Seven. Now, during the interview, we cover quite a range of things, but we start off by chatting about Janet's role at Prony and her own background. We then ask her about how and why Prony was set up in the first place. We focus then in upon the uh, usefulness for family history researchers and ask about Prony Online and how much it is set up just for that category of researcher and what sort of resources can be found at Prony Online and, of course, in the offices outside Belfast. Uh, then we actually move on to the future. and uh, We ask about particular plans that uh, Janet and her team might actually have for Prony for the future. And uh, that's basically it. So I think you'll find the interview fascinating. Remember, again, you can find the show notes and a bonus episode of A Quick Win at a letter from Ireland.com forward slash 717. So now over to the interview. Janet Hancock, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Mike. How are you? I'm very good. And as we chat this morning, Janet, I'm down here, um, I'm glad to say, in sunny Cork, right at the south of the island of Ireland. And whereabouts are you at the moment? Well, I'm in not quite so sunny Lisburn, <laughs> which is northeast of the country, about 10 miles outside Belfast. Okay. Okay. So you're, you're somewhat working from home as we speak. So as opposed to in the prony offices, uh, a little distance away there, just outside the city of Belfast. I am. I am. Although uh, at the minute, as, as I'm sure your listeners will be aware, uh, I've 
we've been doing a little bit of a mix of working from home and working in the record office. So, so I'll, I'll be calling. I'll be calling there later this afternoon. Okay. Now, Janet, I'm listening to your accent there, and as folks actually might kind of pick up, it's a little bit different to my one. So, could I ask you where you were born and brought up, please? So, uh, born and brought up in the Inishone Peninsula in County Donegal, so oh, very close to the border with the city of Derry, Londonderry. Oh, lovely, lovely. Okay. I, and uh, I know we're chatting there before the show as well. And I mentioned that we actually did a feature there on Inishon Peninsula. I got to say it's one of the most beautiful parts of the world up there. And it's like it's kind of self-contained as well in some ways. And then you could it descend is. into the lovely city of Derry anytime you want. And uh, you got all the cosmopolitan you need. You've got the best of both worlds. You've got very picturesque, scenic countryside and and yeah, Good, good likes to elsewhere in the country. So, yeah, great place to grow up. And I, I go home often. Now, the Public Records Office of Northern Ireland, Prony, how would you describe your current role there? Uh, my current role is as Deputy Head of Public Services. So a bit of a mouthful, but basically I'm responsible for operational delivery of uh, public services to both our on-site visitors as well as dealing with remote written inquiries. Uh, I'm also involved in our community engagement projects, such as uh, if anybody wants to Google Making the Future programme, uh, and currently doing a program called Collab Archive. And both of these use creative technologies to encourage people of all ages and backgrounds to explore archives and see how they relate to, I suppose, who we are and, and our communities and, and how we live and work in the present day. Um, so I also work with my public services colleagues to deliver our program of talks and events, which are recorded and uh, put on, onto our YouTube channel, generally speaking, so right. you can all access those from wherever you are. Right. So, so it, it, <laughs> you know, you covered a lot of ground there, I think, in uh, generally a paragraph of speaking. And uh, I was going to ask next, how on earth do you keep up with that all, all of that, because there's a lot in there. But may, maybe we should just kind of, kind of step back a little bit to kind of focus on just what Prony is and why it was set up in the first place. Okay. Um, I suppose when we talked a little bit about this again beforehand, yeah. I thought it might be useful for your listeners to get a bit more of a flavour of, of what, what is an archive in, in the first instance, um, because an archive isn't something that was designed to be of use to you and I for our genealogical research today. An, an archive yeah. is traditionally a transactional record, and it's something that was created in day-to-day -day administration of government or business or indeed our own personal lives, which is subsequently identified as having a long-term historical value. And that's above and beyond the purpose for which it was originally created and, and, and once it ceased to be of use for that purpose. So as but such, novel records there, that are created become archives. Can I just yes, jump so in there, Janet, with guys? Let's, let's just take an example. So... Um, maybe one of the early you know, records or, or collections or whatever it is that, let's say, your office kind of uh, had to archive back in the day or the people before your office had to archive. What sorts of things were being archived or recorded for posterity? Um, well, I, I, I suppose that 
Um, they're reflective of, of their time. For example, yeah. there's always been an emphasis on, on record governance, sort of recording governance and economic affairs, right. as well as sort of activities and actions of organization and people with authority and influence, okay. um, sort of what one usually tying with the other. But, but, but that is changing as yeah. society changes and yes. our, our understanding of what historical value actually means evolves and changes over time. That's a really interesting point. Of course it does. Yeah. And yet, and yet in some ways, the actual collection, historical collections stay the same, but their interpretation and their usefulness might change over time. Very, very much so. Like, for example, you know, researchers as well as archivists are, are increasingly directing their focus to, you know, the, the underrepresented, for example, stories and experiences relating to women or the LGBT community or people with disabilities or minority cultural and ethnic groups within our communities. And, and, and as well as that idea of of the bottom up history or, or yeah. public history where you're where you're exploring really what day to day life was like uh, and you're sort of taking that hit and genealogical research is very much a reflection of that Absolutely. where you're taking the the study of the past out of an academic context and yeah. putting it into i suppose democratizing it and putting it into everybody's hands because really like we are the public record office and the clues in the title that this this history and these records belong to everybody you know, you're hitting on a very interesting distinction for me because um, our genealogist, uh, one of them in the green room, Jane McGarvey, who you've met and you, whom you know, uh, she often makes the point that you often see in a timeline, for example, the person lived in this place from this date, dash, to that date. And as she puts it, it's the dash that's the interesting bit. You know, kind of how did they live? What was life like? And it's that sort of folk history, which I think you're alluding to there, that bottom-up kind of history, that people really feel the absence of, um, in the absence of official records, especially. So, you know, that's, yeah. it, it, so you're, it sounds like your office is very much looking to kind of look back and reinterpret and cross-interpret what's there already, but also perhaps to collect kind of new versions of this, what I call folk history, as we go forward. Very much so. Sometimes it's about looking a bit harder uh, and and was it there? And and I suppose when you think about how things have been collected and, and put across, sometimes there are things to find if you go looking for them. Uh, yeah. And and as I mentioned, that this sort of historiography and, and historical interpretation has been very much reflective of its time across generations, which traditionally has been about, you know. The, the 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 sort of governing hierarchy and military and political history and and key figures yep. and 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 it's very much now about actually well what was what was the what did that mean to the everyday person if your ancestor was a linen weaver or a farmer yep. or you know they they worked in the shipyard like people are are very much interested what what did that mean and what was their life like and and very much and how did that I suppose we're all a product of our past and our ancestors and our communities and and where who we are and where we've come from and right. and understanding where where our ancestors came from and and how they lived is very very connected on a personal level to who we are today and and understanding who we are and how we got here and and what it is that shaped the the society and the communities in which we live today. Mm. I I. I 
when I introduced you there in the beginning, before we start to talk there, I also mentioned that you started off more or less in the city of uh, Derry, London, Derry there as a genealogical researcher. And um, I suppose that you must have a, fa- a fairly special affinity for the sorts of you know information and approaches required by researchers to your collection and indeed kind of how to present it back to them. Would that be kind of correct to say that, uh, yeah, you've been there, you walked in those shoes? Yeah, very much so. I suppose I, I, I've always had an interest in my my sort of early part in my career was was a few years of, of sort of specifically looking at, at genealogical research and and very much in in prony. Like we we are very aware that that a very large proportion of our research community are interested in both family and local history. So um, it, it's it's very much sort of helping people understand how archive what an archive is and how it's structured and then how they can use that for themselves to find out what it is they're looking for because I think what is interesting about all of us is that we all have a unique story and we're all coming in from a very unique angle some people will know a lot about their their family but maybe not know where, where the location is. Some people may know that they have a strong link with a particular place, but they don't know all of the names and dates. You know, some people want to know about a particular ancestor. Some people want to know everything about everybody. Some people want to focus in on, and as we discussed earlier, well, what did they do and what was what was life like? So everybody's research journey is very much unique. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's really trying to, to help people you know and I keep coming back to it the archive belongs to all of us and sometimes I think people find it very overwhelming with the volume of information there are in, in archives and maybe just don't know where to start yeah no and, just and, on just on like in all of those adages it's one step at a time but just on that Jan I think it's really really you made a really interesting point again when we were chatting before we were chatting now and you mentioned that a lot of researchers, family historians, are pretty much kind of today, they're getting used to the idea of sticking a surname in or sticking a date into some kind of a search engine and out pops, well, honestly, tens of thousands of results in some kind of an order. And you kind of commented on, well, you know, that's not really how, let's say, the archives that lie behind Prony are most effectively used, if I kind of was paraphrase what you said. Could you just comment a little bit more on that? Yeah, I, I suppose this is this is back to my earlier point about an archive not being created for for us to use in the future. An archive is something that reflects what it was actually created for, and that really is the quorum of its value as an archive to a great degree. And um, you know, the, the the work of the archivist, the core element of what the archivists do is to respect and preserve to the greatest degree possible the original order of the archive as it was created, because that's every bit as important as prefer- preserving the information that's held within. So that formation and structure of an archive can all but often tell us as much about the individual or the organisation as the content does itself. So, for example, in terms of establishing a timeline of events and understanding the creator's thinking. Um, So, therefore, the archive will always be catalogued to reflect the original order and structure of a collection rather than to make life easy for us, the researcher, in the future. So, I suppose, to give you an example, uh, the listeners will probably be familiar with 
valuation records, for example, in the Griffiths valuation. That's mm-hmm. one of the big genealogical resources. And you'll all be aware that you can go online and you can search by name or you can search by Townland or Parish. But way back when, when you had to go into the archive and look up things, do you know that that archive was originally created um as a way of establishing the occupancy and rateable value for the upkeep of the poor in a particular area. So, right. for example, that archive is structured according to poor law union, which is, is an ad- administrative division that we don't use today in Ireland. But in order to access and find whether or not your ancestors were there, you would have needed to know, well, where did they live? So you'd have needed to know at least the Townlander Parish. And then you would have had to go back and worked out, well, what what per law union is that parish in and what electoral division and worked your way in from there before you were able to actually go to the original volume and open it up and browse through it to see if you could find a name. So I suppose if that gives you a comparable sort of common day source where today you can go in and put a name and hit go and, and get an instant result, the structure of the original is slightly different because it reflects why that archive was created yes. in the first instance. Do you know, do you know, Janet, you're, you know, that's a really interesting example because although nowadays, as you point out, it's made quite easy to do a search for, let's say, a, a particular townland or a particular surname in a particular county through Griffith's valuation, uh, we often find that that's fair enough if you're the sort of person who kind of lived in that area or perhaps at the time you knew what a poor law union was or whatever. But of course, a lot of our folks are stuck out there in New Zealand with a completely different system. They type something in and they find themselves in the middle of, oh my God, how do I even start to interpret this thing? And despite the search ease of use, there's a really, really kind of big uh, need for more contextual information for people to understand what they're looking at, to understand what a townland is. And perhaps it's nothing got to do with a town for the most part. Uh, you know, so all of those things, and of course, that's what we do a lot of in the green room is that kind of contextual education and so on. So I suppose kind of my point is, although search apparently makes it easy to find some kind of result and give you some kind of a dopamine hit straight away, it isn't necessarily what you want. So in some ways, you probably even are better off going in and browsing for a while, which I guess is kind of what you're saying there with regards to the way the archives are laid out, understand how they're laid out and understand what to expect to find in them and what not to expect not to find in them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a, a particular example of that is our, our catalogue, our, our electronic catalogue. So if anybody's used our catalogue online, for example, uh, people often find it frustrating because they'll go in and put in a name and they'll hit search and they'll maybe not find the results they're expecting to find. Uh, and again, this comes back to... Our catalogue is not a database, and I think this is where there's there's a very nuanced difference between a catalogue and the finding aid. So, as I mentioned, the catalogue is structured to help you understand what the archive is, I tell you a bit about what it is. To give you an example, a catalogue description might say, um, baptismal register from Ballymena Presbyterian Church, uh, 1880 to 1897. So if your ancestors uh, went to church in in that particular church, if you put the, the name of your ancestors and hit search, they're not you're not going to find that because what you really need to do is identify the type of record, and that's what will be referenced more likely 
in the catalogue. And that's not to say you won't find personal names. You'll find thousands of personal names. But it all comes back to the cataloguing. It's about the nature of the record in the catalogue. So actually, you would be better to put in, for example, as I said, Balamoni or Balamina, the place name, and then identify, oh, there are church records. Oh, there are state records. Uh, oh, there are, there are valuation records for that area. And all of those will go, oh, I could look at that. I could maybe look at that. Do you know, it's yes. the catalogue will help you with the nature of the records. And back to your point about contextualization. That's where you would look at, say, the wider Prony website. You would look at our guides and our series of information leaflets. And each one of those will give you a little bite-sized uh, page or two about well, what is a church record and what are you likely to find? For example, yes. what what is a board of guardian or a workhouse record and what information are you likely to find there? So you, you kind of have to marry the, the little bits bites of context and match it up with the resources that you're looking at because I, I think yes there is a, an overwhelming amount of information and I just think sometimes taking it one step at a time and and I mentioned earlier we do a lot of as you're doing as well through your podcast information sessions you'll find how-to guides on our website as well which Excellent. will give you just an introduction to getting started if you're completely new to this. Where do you start? What do you look for? What and, and once you start and gain confidence in that, then you can move on and look at maybe a little more little bit more complex sources where there's maybe not an online database that you can go and type a name into. You maybe have to come into a repository such as Prony. So yeah, it's it's all about it's all about about personal journeys here in terms of research you know and it's all about how much time we have to do this some people are time time poor and others devote their entire lives to putting together a comprehensive genealogy and there is no right answer both of those are perfectly right in terms of how you use archives oh so well said so well said and you know just to kind of summarize there because i you know i think you really highlighted a couple of really important points one is the fact that, uh, yeah, oh, by all means, go in and search and see what comes back. But just remember, it's the actual, the catalogue as such, understanding the extent of the information contained, which is really going to be what you need, going to need to have a look at. Genealogists do that all the time because they need to do it for a wide range of people. But, you know, even if this is just for your own family and your own family history, it's really worthwhile understanding the, let's call it the car catalogue, the, the electronic catalogue, of any particular service to realize what's not there, what is there, and the way in which it's actually presented should you actually carry out a search. Excellent. That's re And of course, just points now what you pointed out there, there's quite a lot of how-to information contained in Brony, and we'll actually put all those links as well in the actual show notes for this particular uh, podcast. So thank you very much for that. Now, I actually do have a specific question. It has to do with this idea of 26 counties and six counties. And I think that kind of confuses a lot of people, of course, who perhaps missed out on all the uh, political excitement from 1922 onwards uh, here on the island of Ireland. So when they go looking for records for their folks who left Ireland, for example, in the mid-1800s, and that could be from Lisburn, it could have been from County Cork. And they're kind of wondering where to start the search. But I do understand that you actually have quite a lot of records for the 26 counties also of what constitute the present Republic of Ireland. And why is that? What's going on there? 
So I, I suppose I, I, I'll back up a little bit. We, we sort of talked about um, sort of public or the concept of public records has been around from the Middle Ages when sort of records were produced from the monarchy and, and they were carried around like the jewellery and the, and the, the all of the, the money and all of the prized possessions. So really this this idea of, of how valuable those records are is, is sort of intrinsic. And the first Public Record Act in Ireland was passed in 1867 and a Public Record Office of Ireland was opened up in a building to the rear of the, the four courts. And, and as you mentioned, uh, subject to, to the civil unrest uh, that took place, a fire in the four courts destroyed that PRO in, in Dublin and a lot of the early records were lost. Uh, and and it, sort of simultaneously, the Public Record Office of Northern Ireland was founded post-partition to cover the, the six counties of the newly formed Northern Ireland. So, so Crony first opened its doors in, um, in, in a disused linen warehouse in Belfast okay. um, in, in 1923. And, and so part, part of that establishment of the new... The, the new state was sort of reallocation of responsibilities uh, and and records between two public record offices. Right. Um, so historic official records relating to counties of the newly established Northern Ireland were also transferred to Prony. This is how Prony comes to hold some pre-partition era records in some of our official collections. An example of that would be the tie the plotment records for the six counties, which date back to the 1830s, but part, form part of Prony's Ministry of Finance archive, for example. So I suppose in, in the, I mentioned the, the great destruction of records in, in 1922 in the PRO and I suppose our first deputy keeper, which was the, the, the he's called the deputy keeper, but in essence he was the big boss. He was the chief archivist. Um, was a man called Doctor Charton. He had been a member of staff at the PRO in Dublin, and he was very much aware of what had been lost and the significance of what had been lost. And it was really he who ensured that Prony was permitted by law not only to take. Official records, and when I say official, I mean the records of government departments, which previously ministries, but also to take in privately deposited records. So Prony started a programme of approaching solicitors and business people and politicians and the landed aristocracy in a way of, in essence, almost compiling a bit of a, a surrogates or substitutes for a lot of that record which had been lost. So as a result, Prony is quite unique in that we have both official records, departmental records, um, as well as privately deposited archives. And our official archive is generally confined to things that relate to the six counties. Yes. However, our privately deposited material is much more fluid in its nature. And therefore, we would have a lot of material that relates mainly, I would say, to the north of Ireland. And I say that very much in a non-political context, in that I mean the historic province of Ulster. We have a lot, not only from, from our sort of six counties of present-day Northern Ireland, so but also particularly Donegal, Cavan, Monaghan, and a little bit further afield. Um, so, so yes, it's it's definitely worth a look in Prony, particularly for people researching in, in northern counties in general. 
You know, he sounds like he was, uh, I suppose, kind of the right man at the moment in that case, in that he saw the urgency of the situation. Number one, these things wouldn't be around forever. And uh, he just kind of moved uh, within the legal framework to to get those kind of private collections on side. And so it has. So it is that you actually perhaps even continue that tradition to this day, perhaps being a place uh, where private collections eventually went. We do, and obviously, uh, for anybody who's interested, there's a really interesting project called Beyond 2022, which is a collaborative research program between uh, both ourselves and the National Archives of Ireland, Trinity College Dublin, the National Archives in, in Kew in London, for example, who are currently working to actually put together a virtual recreation of that original public record office. So that's a really, really fascinating project. And that will be, again, available online for everybody across the globe to access and, and will show us in a bit more detail, you know, not only what was there and what was perhaps lost, but try and fill those gaps by signposting and pointing out to where there is actually duplicate or surrogate material available in repositories, not only in, in Ireland and, and the wider UK, but also internationally across repositories across the world. So that's really as a, a, a sort of a fascinating look and it shows you really what technology can do in terms of in terms of bringing us another way of accessing archive material you know you put that so well because uh you know when we started to talk about the beyond 2022 project a lot of people kind of said well how can you kind of bring back to life that which is not there you know and as you pointed out what you're really doing is showing the gaps so you can understand then, whilst looking at the gaps, understand well, you can't find these specifics in those gaps. However, there are these alternate kind of places to look. And that's really what it's all about. Okay, Embry, that's very interesting. And just just a, just a kind of a quick one there, I suppose. As an example of a private collection from your point of view, let's say in Cavan, Monaghan or Donegal, could you give an example of maybe one of those for the uh, listeners? <coughs> Excuse me. Um <coughs> Uh, yeah, I suppose well, if, if you imagine a lot of our landed estate records, and, yep. and these were, I suppose, the landed gentry, to give you an example, the Percival Maxwell collection at Prony, around 15,500 documents and 200 volumes relating to Percival Maxwell family of Finnebrogue and Groomsport House in County Down, as well as the Moor, laterly Percival Maxwell family of Tallow, County Waterford. Uh, the family also had connections and property in Counties Cork, Londonderry, Monaghan, Tyrone, Tipperary and Wexford, oh, wow. as well as connections with London and Canada. So I thought that was a good example to, 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 give, you, example. to, to sort of yeah. give you maybe an understanding why there will be large landed estates and families who very much have an all-Ireland connection. And that's why we have material related to to not only Northern Ireland, present day Northern Ireland, but but places elsewhere in in um in the country. And uh, another example might be uh, we have Lissadell papers, for example, relating to the Gore Booth family from Lissadell House in County Sligo. Right. Uh, this includes material relating to the Gore Booth and her sister's her sister Constance, later Countess Markovich, who. Uh, some of you will, will be familiar with. She's best known as for involvement as an Irish in Irish revolutionary politics. So those are things that you might not expect to find in Prony, but it's it's always worth a look. And again, 
I'd come back to if you look geographically and you put in those place names and you put in a townland or a parish name and see what comes up. That is often a more productive way of searching as to what prony might hold for a particular area. Yes. Um, and of course, we're not the only repository. And, and I would say this when people are looking across the island of Ireland, do you know, we're a place to look. We're not the only place to look. No. But then again, you know, at the same time, you do have the resources, you have the history, and you have the initial collections to actually build upon. So it's, let's face it, you're by, by far one, one, if not the leading light there. So well done. That's great. Um, I, I guess kind of, uh, you know, we're, we're skirting around here just a little bit, uh, Janet, but looking to the future then, because again, as we discussed, a lot of the people actually listening to this particular podcast episode are family history researchers, and you touched upon how they might interpret your collections and so on and uh, use your, and access your services. But do you have particular plans or features that you're particularly excited about over the next two, three, four, five years, or be it offline or online? Um, well, I suppose some of your audience members will will know that we've we have been working on a number of digitization uh, projects. We we fairly recently made available the tie the plotment books for the six counties of of present day Northern Ireland via our e catalogue, and that of course complements the the resource that the National Archives of Ireland website provides for for the other counties. Um, we're, we're we're working on a sort of compiling a, a names index to accompany those records to go to go with that uh, piece of work that was started in, in early lockdown, and, and hopefully we'll be able to augment the information we have available via our e catalogue and help help researchers uh, get their way in there a bit more effectively. Um, for anyone who missed it, we we launched earlier this year um, digitised indexes to the Belfast Board of Guardian records uh, for Belfast. So the Board of Guardian is the workhouse or poor house, as as some people may may know um, know it. And people often think, oh, that's only for the very poor and the very destitute, and they think a little bit of, please, sir, can I have some more? But the workhouse really was an institution which predates our, our sort of social welfare scheme. And people often, there were a lot of destitute people, absolutely, who went there, but there were people who availed of that for things that we would find very commonplace today, for example, because they were pregnant or because they had a broken arm and they were no longer able to work. Um, so what I'm getting at is that many, many thousands of people passed through, for example, the workhouse system, not because they were vagrants or they were work shy, which was a, a sort of prevailing thought in the in the 1800s that, that people were poor for their own making. It was because often there was no other means of supporting yourself if, for example, for, for often very trivial reasons, you weren't able to, to work to support yourself for a period of time. So as a result, there are literally thousands upon thousands of names in the likes of workhouse records, for example. So that's a really useful resource, and I would urge anybody to, to sort of check that out as well. We, we do sort of have a regular program of, of digitization and we're constantly trying to identify things which we can we can make available. I think another one that's that's worth mentioning is our partnership with the UTV archive, uh, which is Ulster Television, which is our sort of earliest local broadcaster. So we have been working on a project with Northern Ireland Screen um, 
to to digitize and make available uh, material from the UTV collection and and that really is a broad brush covering all of the news and and sort of political coverage of Northern Ireland in our sort of most recent history but also some of the some of the things like kids tv and sort of documentaries and some absolutely fantastic social and local history documentary and programming which sort of record interviews with local people about and often they're talking about their generations back so it's a really really fantastic archival research and a lot of that material will be av available through the digital film archive if anybody wants to go and have a look we put a lot of material photographic material out through our Flickr photo stream so that's another really useful uh, resource because Obviously, as, as you know, sometimes a picture or particularly a video image tells a thousand words and, and it's really something very special about seeing things or, or seeing recordings or seeing images that actually that, that tell you as much about what isn't being said uh, as an archive in, in the traditional paper form. So so we have we have lots of, of work going on in, in terms of different types of archive and, and how we can continue to make those available. You know, it's fascinating just to hear you uh, mentioning that very impressive list of projects uh, where you're kind of drawing, I guess, kind of resources that are there already and kind of reinterpreting them in new light or making them available differently and so on. And, you know, working and at the way you framed the idea of the workhouses, for example, as being that the go-to for kind of uh, social welfare back in the day that we're kind of used to nowadays and not, you know, you know, we do hear a lot of people saying, well, you know, my Johnny or my Mary wouldn't have been in the poor house. So I won't even bother looking for them there. But as you just point out, that's, it sounds like you're kind of very much working hard on reconstituting that social history, that folk history um, through kind of uh, unusual things, perhaps that people mightn't always think of. And as you say, there through kind of a film archive through pictures and so on, because those paint, those pictures do paint a thousand words. Absolutely. So, uh, and you started to also mention there, Janet, that there are places to go, but we're coming towards the end of our chat now. So if we want to actually, uh, if anybody wants to find out a lot more about your work, yourself, your team, and what sorts of things are available publicly, where would you point them? Well, I would always point them to the Prony website in the first instance, and I know you'll be providing all of the links and details uh, as well. Come and have a look on the Prony website. Um, there is a section called Search the Archives, and that basically encompasses all of the e-catalogue, as well as all of the searchable archives and databases where you can go and put a name in and search. That includes our, our well calendars, street directories, our historical maps, Fear, for example. So you can go and do that. You will also find a, a full section of guides and leaflets and indexes and so for example I mentioned briefly church records one of our most heavily consulted resources our guide to church records is available which um, which breaks down by county and by parish and by denomination what church records are available a really critical source for the genealogist because it often predates civil registration um, we have another section called uh, a resources section where you will find a bit more general material like we've recently produced um, 
an A-level student resource called Ireland 1900 to 1925, for example, and that's looking at archival material covering what, what we refer to here as the decade of centenaries, for example, um, and but also things like uh, transcripts of First World War letters, um, various various sort of suffrage uh, sort of suffrage in Ireland and on how people got the vote. So really useful sort of topical interest. Um, I, I've already mentioned our Flickr photo stream. One of the key ones I would direct people to would be our programme of talks and events as they happen live. And people can sign up to our e-newsletter, the Prony Express, and you'll get regular updates of what's okay. on and, and what's going to be available. Um, but equally, as I mentioned, we record a lot of that programme of events as well and make those available on our YouTube channel. So whether you're just getting started and you want to dabble into a how-to guide of how to use our catalogue or how to use our online resources, or you'll find things, everything from, you know, the history of witchcraft in Ireland to food and drink to, you know, the circus in Belfast. And, you know, a really, even if you just want a little dabble into some of the, the local sort of social history and some of the bit more niche and, and obscure topical interest, there'll be something for everybody on, on our YouTube channel. Okay, I have actually visited uh, the wonderful modern offices and very welcoming offices of Prony there in the Titanic Quarter there in uh, Belfast. Yep. Uh, fabulous place, I must say. It's been a while now, of course, because of COVID and so on. So if any of our listeners, if any of our um, members actually wants to visit Prony, is that possible again with regards to making it, um, appointments? It is. We are obviously, as you mentioned, with, with COVID, <clears throat> we are currently operating a, um, an appointment system. So for anybody who, who hasn't been before, we're lo located in the historic Titanic quarter of Belfast, very close to uh, the Titanic Belfast visitor experience so uh, it's it's always worth doubling up on on these on these things as well you, you can do a lot in the area if you come and visit us in Prony but yeah absolutely we're open again by prior appointment um, <clears throat> so anybody all you need to do to register on site as a Prony visitor and access the archives is bring your photographic ID and we'll get you registered uh, and and the thing I, I was meaning to mention earlier is you know Come, you don't have to have lots of prior knowledge. By all means, do a little gather as much information in advance of coming as you can. Speak to your family members. Find out if anybody else has done a little bit of research. But don't don't be overly concerned if you're not sure where to start because we have members of staff on site whose job it is to help you with that research. And you know they're they're really friendly and welcoming, and and they understand that it can be daunting coming in to start your research. So do you come and, and feel at ease that there will be somebody to help you get started when you do visit? And obviously, not everybody can visit in person. We also have a remote inquiry service. So you can drop us a letter or an email. We have a free service which gives you advice and guidance about the records we have. So we can tell you a bit more about what we have and signpost you to where you can find out more information. And we also have a fee paying uh, search and copy service. So we, we don't do genealogy per se. So we won't do your family history for you. But for example, if you know your your great grandmother came from Bangor and she was Roman Catholic and she was born in around 1880, what we can do for for a fee is search Roman Catholic records in that area during a five year 
time frame, for example, and, and see if we can find that very specific entry or piece of information to help you along the way. And obviously, others others can come along on your behalf. If you have any friends and family in the area, they can come in as, as a visitor and look up that information on your behalf. Or there are a wide range of organizations and sort of commercial organizations and independent genealogists who will also do commercial research for you. So that there's a wide range of ways in which you can access access material. Yeah, I mean, and just to say that as well, and the last point, folks, if you wander in there, you're likely to actually find our own Jay McGarvey as well at some stage, a genealogist in the green room who seems to live mostly in Prony rather than in her own house at this point in time. Yep. Um, Janet Hang- Hancock, um, the Public Records Office of Northern Ireland, thank you so much for your time. That was absolutely fascinating. And I think you've kind thank of given it a very unique and personal perspective on an invaluable service. So thank you again. You're very welcome, and and thank you to you, Mike, and thanks to all your listeners. Well, many thanks there to Janet Hancock, the Deputy Head of Public Services at Prony. I think it was fascinating to get inside, I suppose kind of inside her head as an archivist and manager of the actual facilities there, as to how she saw how it was set up, what's currently in there, and what the plans are for the future. So I hope you found that particular episode fascinating, and thanks again to Jay McGarvey, our own Green Room genealogist, for setting that up. Now, folks, remember that we actually have um, some further references there in the show notes, which you can find at alettafromireland.com forward slash 717. And one of the links you'll find in there is a little bit of a quick win training where we actually have a talk through and a walk through, almost like a follow on from this interview, through the actual Prony online system um, with Jay McGarvey. So that's it from myself, Mike Collins, for this week. Hope you enjoyed this episode and look forward to chatting again next week. Slán for now. If you've enjoyed today's Letter from Ireland show, we'd like to invite you to check out our special membership area, The Green Room. You hear us mention it a lot during the show. And you can find full details of The Green Room at letterfromireland.com forward slash green room. Our Green Room is the essential resource for anybody at any stage in researching their Irish heritage. Because it's where we delve into all the good stuff to help you break down those brick walls and really connect the pieces in your Irish ancestry puzzle. In the green room, you get access to online genealogists, extensive research tools, quick win training, as well as member only access to johngrenham.com and a very supportive, active community to help you along the way with feedback and advice. The Green Room is the perfect place to be for anybody starting or continuing their Irish ancestry search. So why don't you come and join us there at alettafromireland.com forward slash green room. That's it for me, but I'll be back next time with another installment of the Letter from Ireland show. And I really look forward to chatting to you then. Slán gafól, Karina.